This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Ideas to Life podcast. Practical advice and inspiration to help you create and sell your own physical products. Here's your host, Vicky Weinberg. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Holly Watson. Holly is the co-founder of the Zero Cafe and Ethical Emporium, a plastic-free cafe and community space in the heart of Tunbridge Wells. The Ethical Emporium provides an opportunity to other local independent designers, makers and brands to showcase their sustainable artisan wares all under one roof. Along with co-founder and best friend Charlotte Bauer, Holly is passionate about living a plastic-free lifestyle and encouraging others to do the same. I had a really great conversation with Holly. As you will hear in this conversation, um, Holly and Charlotte's business has pivoted many times over the past few years, um, partly from necessity, obviously, um, with COVID. And Holly also talks about some choices they've made to do things a little differently. Um, And I really found their business model fascinating. Um, The Zero Cafe is actually, and now the Ethical Emporium is actually quite local to me. I've been in there a few times and it's great to see how it's evolved over the years. So I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Holly. So hi Holly, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no problem. So can we start with you please give an introduction to yourself, your business and what you do? Absolutely. So um, I'm Holly Watson. I'm one half of the Zero Waste Company. So I run it with my business partner, um, Charlotte Bowyer, who is in the shop today. Um, So the Zero Waste Company is a sustainable vegetarian and vegan cafe and emporium on the Pantiles in Tunbridge Wells um, and we basically it is kind of like running two businesses so we have the cafe side of things which is all kind of homemade on-site um, kind of delicious vegetarian and vegan food um, that we try and cater to as many kind of allergies and dietary requirements as possible, but it's it's really it's kind of proper good cafe food. So you know, toasties and soups and salads and things like that. Um, and then the Ethical Emporium is our retail space, which um, is a kind of community based space for um, local brands and sellers to sell their ethical and sustainable wines. Amazing, thank you. Now, I know when you set up Zero Waste, which was two, three years ago, Holly? Yeah, almost, we're in our third year now. Yeah. I know that when you originally set it up, um, it was a slightly different model. So do you want to talk about what inspired you to start Zero Waste initially and what the business looked like almost three years ago? Yeah, sure. Um, so myself and Lottie were both, when we met, we both had 
eight month old baby boys so we kind of met as freelancers and had kind of common ground on the fact that we were I mean I kind of joke and say I'm a self-confessed hippie so I tend to kind of be more you know I'm always trying to sort of think of ways of like reducing waste and being really environmentally conscious and things like that and Lottie's very similar um and we both were really frustrated with the kind of almost like the the forced options of when you have children of how much the packaging of everything increases the kind of the throwaway mentality everything is you know single use disposable and that whole culture it's very hard to get out of so we end up having a really good chat one day and talking about how we were trying to make environmentally conscious decisions and that actually it's really hard to do because there's nowhere that you can really just go and shop easily whilst you know thinking about not buying lots of plastic or whatever um and so we kind of the the zero waste company was born out of a, a frustration i guess of wanting to have access to alternatives to the supermarkets in and the kind of disposable culture that we live in um and initially we were kind of we didn't really know what to do and zero waste shops were quite a a kind of a, a concept that was just coming into sort of the light if you you know people were starting to kind of know about them understand them so we did our research which is market research um and then found the place on the fantiles which you know <laughs> with hindsight you'd go hmm, there's not much parking because that's the thing everyone says to us now when they come shopping it's like there's not much parking there is but it's not on your doorstep as it is with some you know some of the other places in, in some of the dwells but um and we basically yeah we decided to create a traditional zero waste shop which is a refill shop so um initially it was if you've ever been in our space it's got a kind of a, a big front space and a smaller back space so we decided to the whole shop was the, the front part and it was you know wall-to-wall gravity units filled with things like bread bread not bread no pasta rice grains cereals nuts everything you could kind of imagine that you buy in bulk um and the way the zero waste model works is that you bring a container you weigh it fill it weigh it again um and and pay for it so you're only paying for the goods you're not paying for the, the packaging so that's kind of how we started off and you know it was amazing we opened in November 2019 and we had a really really good response from the community straight away it was it was brilliant and um, people really coming on board with it and wanting to change their hop- shopping habits and wanting to understand you know what what it was we did and um, we converted like the, the, the back part of the shop into a very small cafe at that point and we just were like we'll just sell coffee and cake and that's kind of how we started um unfortunately <laughs> covid came along um which is i think the story for so many businesses who started out around that time for us it was difficult because we didn't have any kind of buffer we'd only been open like five months and we just started to get you know a following and people coming in when obviously covid shut a lot of that down we were really fortunate that we were technically at that point we were classed as essential because we sold food um and we were able to keep open during that time and you know started offering fruit and veg and deliveries and trying to service the community because no one i think knew at that point it was going to go on for as long as it did and you know we thought it might be a couple of months but the whole business model had to change to allow for what happened during that time um so we just kind of adapted but when things reopened again in 2020 in the summer for that brief period 
um, we realised that there seemed to be more kind of more people wanting the cafe side and asking us where our lunch menu was and things like that. So we kind of adapted as much as we could. We started offering proper food, if you like, um, and we hired a, a chef, Jen, who basically does everything for us. She's incredible. Me and Lottie don't come from chef or cafe backgrounds. So she basically, we kind of, we luckily got her. She'd worked in, you know, cafes and restaurants in London and she's amazing, but she'd moved to Westrum and she's ours now. So basically she does all of our kind of vegan, vegetarian food she makes for us and only us. Um, and so the kind of the cafe offering started to increase. Um, but it's it's a funny thing because it, it's hard for us to sort of not blame COVID. But what ended up happening was, especially during the winter months, I think people with the lockdowns constantly coming into play and then not being locked down and then you are and then it was tears and all of this kind of thing I think people's habits just changed and everyone reverted to shopping online and it got to kind of when whenever that last lockdown lifted um that we realized that the shopping habits for the zero waste side of things hadn't picked up as much as we'd have liked um so we flipped the shop and the cafe so that the cafe became the bigger space and the shop became the smaller space. Um, and then I guess that did have a bit of a knock-on effect because then there was less stuff to sell. And then it's a funny thing, like it's hard to take, like to admit when you realise that something's not working as a business and going, um, this isn't doing what we had hoped. And it took us quite a long time to, I think, kind of get to the realisation point that we might need to change that side of the business completely which is then what we did recently (laughs) thank you for all of that and we'll talk about um how your business has evolved shortly but i'd love to talk a little bit more about zero waste so just to pick up on what you were saying just then do you have any thoughts on perhaps why um zero waste you know the refill element didn't pick up again after covid i think it's we're part of a um a couple of groups on facebook that are zero waste shop owners um And we've been part of that group since we launched, you know, a few years ago. And in that time, we've seen a massive influx of people opening shops. And then in this last six months, I'd say there's been at least 25 that have closed. And it's nationwide, maybe even international, because there are some international people within that group. But everyone's saying the same thing. And it, it does feel like covid it's it's funny it had a sort of a knock-on effect in two different ways like it became everyone was going oh if you don't use it you lose it so they all really wanted to support small businesses and local businesses but it seemed a step too far to then ask them to change their shopping habits completely so it seemed that it went from one way to the other you either have people who want to change their shopping habits and they're happy to make the effort because it is more effort to shop that way it is it does require a level of planning and thinking about it even if you come with no containers and fill up with bags which you're very welcome to do um you still got to decant them when you get home you've got to think about how you're going to store that you kind of need to have a bit of an idea of what you want to buy um and so I think there's a level of care and consideration that you need that some people just don't have the mental capacity for at the moment because of all of the other stresses that COVID has created and you know people's whole 
like lives changed in the sense of most people now haven't gone back to work full time in their offices and everyone's kind of adapted to this new way of living where perhaps they are spending more time at home or they are you know they are prioritizing different things and I think convenience it goes a long way in terms of why people do what they do and make the choices that they make and it is more convenient to go to a supermarket and buy everything there and order all online and have it delivered when you know you're working from home on this day and you know I think there's an element of that um but it does seem across the board it's not just us it's we've seen it with people who are just zero waste shops we're very lucky in the sense that we have the cafe so we've been able to adapt to to make that you know more of what we offer now um but those who can't do that or haven't got that opportunity are closing because they're just not being used um and I guess there's a, an element of some supermarkets have introduced refill sections, but I don't I don't think that's it. I think it, it's it's about the mentality since COVID of what people are willing to spend time doing, what they're willing to focus on. And it just doesn't seem to be the right time now for zero waste, which is a real shame. And it's, it's it, I find it very hard to say it because obviously it was our passion for so long, but I've had to kind of come to the conclusion because you know we are running a business and when it doesn't make you any money at all it's not viable so you know you have to find solutions outside of that that still kind of sit within your ethos it's yeah it's a it's a tricky one I don't have all the answers <laughs> thank thank you for though for sharing that sharing that because I hope you don't mind me asking the question and the, no. the reason I ask is that as, like as a consumer I have seen zero waste shops pop up just locally you know in the area we're both in Kent I've seen zero waste shops come and I've seen some go and um I just found that baffling because it kind of felt like and it probably was pre-covid it kind of felt like it was getting popular and evolution, and traction. Yeah. yeah and then suddenly it felt like everything had changed again and um yeah I I wasn't quite sure why so thank you for explaining that and as you say that might not be the full picture but I think it, it yeah it's is. very hard it's hard to know exactly why we I can only go on what myself mm. and other owners are all just dis- discussing as people who yeah. actually want to run these businesses and I guess you know there's probably other factors that I haven't even considered um and it's a shame because there are still people who want to shop that way who are really hardcore and dedicated but you know it's difficult so for us when we we made a decision literally very recently I mean last week recently to just no longer sell refill food at all so we've now we don't have any more gravity in it in, in zero we still sell the refill cleaning and household products because they've always maintained the same they've always been popular and people have always come in for those but food is a funny one um so when we made that decision it was quite a hard decision to sort of essentially close that chapter completely um and yet you know lots of people haven't noticed or cared but there are people who are like oh but, but this but I used to come to you and it's hot it's, it's heartbreaking like knowing that you did have you know a couple of people who would really still support that but you know you need 20 30 people a week not two yeah. <laughs> so you know it is it's just a decision that we have to make and it's yeah it's hard it's really difficult when you know other people have the same passion as you but you know well, like you say, it's a business. And if it's the household items that are still continuing to sell, then it makes sense that those would be the ones you continue see. to stock. Because yeah. I guess also, I don't know, but with anything consumable, I guess there's the sourcing and then how long can you physically hold the stock yeah. before it goes out of date? There must be a lot that goes it's into the that. Thing. The, 
we kind of learnt the hard way that especially because we used to have a huge range and we reduced a little bit when we moved from the cafe side into the shop side like when we swapped the the areas around we, we lost a little bit but not much but the managing of the best before dates and the managing of the rotation of stock and the ordering and and also along with covid you know and brexit was the whole thing of suddenly the suppliers minimum order quantities were going from sort of being 300 pounds per order to a thousand pounds an order which is a massive jump for a small business and it meant you'd have to literally wait until every single thing had run out which point you're frustrating people who are like have you still not got any porridge oats oh I came last week you didn't have any and you're like yeah but I can't I can't just buy all porridge oats I have to buy everything and it's a big kind of ask to, to spend a lot of money sourcing that and then for it to sit and not be bought it's it goes against the whole waste thing and this is what me and Lottie came to, to realise is that, you know, some things just, even though, you know, like kidney beans, they're not really going to go out of date. They, they have to have a date on them, but they're fine because they're a dried bean and they will last years. But you can't legally sell that. So even though you know it's OK, you can't legally sell it. So there's a lot of kind of red tape surrounding, you know, food and and EHOs come in and they want to know how you're maintaining all of your stock and all your best before date, all of that stuff. And it's such a huge amount of admin and time for something that doesn't essentially pay that I do understand why people just, just say, I can't do it. And, you know, maybe the answer is to find more sustainable packaging. I mean, I hate even saying that because it makes me just go ah, like, because buying in plastic is the worst because they are single use and they are the worst kinds as well those particular plastics become microplastics which are the ones that really do kill fish and get into fetuses and everything else that you've seen in the news recently um so maybe the answer is to go back to paper or card packaging or something else if this is not what people want it's yeah it's very hard yeah it's um it sounds really hard and I'm as we're talking I'm just seeing like how much Lottie and yourself have adapted over the past few years because it seems like you know it's continually things change (laughs) yeah and you're having to make really hard decisions a lot it sounds like yeah it's funny it's we're both very good adapting that's one of one of the things that we kind of can say about ourselves in that you know as business owners we don't shy away from having to like make difficult decisions and hard choices and actually do things that make us feel uncomfortable but we'd never do anything that would challenge our original ethos so everything we've ever done business-wise is always we've got the same kind of core belief at its structure so we're always kind of saying like is what we're going to do still going to benefit the environment as opposed to you know harm it in any way and does make a decision mean that it's going to still be beneficial to people? And, you know, so we don't just kind of go, oh, it's not making us any money. We'll just do something else. Like it, there's always an environmental factor that comes into play with what we do, because I just don't feel like I could go in to work every day and call ourselves a zero waste company without having the original core beliefs still. Um, and I think loss is the same, but we've had to kind of, become slightly more business sort of minded you know like it would be lovely to do all of this stuff in the community and give back and not have to worry about it making any money but it's not reality especially when you have a business on the pantiles that costs a fortune and I mean you know we chose to set up there 
and in hindsight you know we both say sometimes it's the cost of being on the penthouse it's just already higher than any other place in Tunbridge Wells and is it worth paying all that extra money to sort of be in that kind of location you know all these things but it's it's funny because ultimately the answer is still yes so we just need to make it work for us and do it in a way that still has that community feel and still challenges people's buying habits and all of this kind of thing like as long as we're still meeting those sort of initial I guess points that we we started out with I'm, I'm okay with it but yeah there's definitely been things you know we've definitely made mistakes and things that we kind of you know learn from but I guess every business owner does that it's, oh absolutely yeah. and with the location I can certainly see that it would be like an expensive place to mm. be <laughs> um but I guess the one of the advantages is that, that that flexible space you've had so you were talking about how you know the cafe was small and now the cafe is larger and you've been able to really adapt that space so I guess that is one of the plus points because I mean I've obviously been in and it is a it's a nice big space yeah it is it's, it is a really large space and you know we never wanted it to have that kind of clinical because some zero waste shops are very sort of white and you know clean and I kind of didn't want that I was very much about wanting to have some of our personality you know I'm quite a kind of extrovert character and I like I'm very creative and I like how things look so for me the aesthetics of zero has been as much of a joy for me to, to create as the actual business itself um you know it's like I've got wallpaper everywhere and you know it's it's the lighting and everything we we really think about because for us it's not just about having a shop or having a cafe it's about creating a space people want to spend time in and that they can hire out to have parties or whatever so we constantly try and have as many like you know strings to our bow if you like as as possible and yeah the adaptability of being able to move things around and having a husband who's quite handy is helpful (laughs) because my poor husband I'm like so I need you to build me a veg unit. I'm like, and now that veg unit needs to become a display unit because we don't sell veg anymore. So can you adapt it to, you know, and he just kind of like comes in and just builds stuff whenever I need him to, which is very helpful. Um, but yeah, it's, I think sometimes having the vision, I'll often be like, I know exactly how I want it to look. And then I just need someone to help me kind of do it. And Lottie's just like, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. So we've sort of, we work quite well together in that sense. And I think, you know, if anything, I, I'm really proud of the space we've created because I do love it. I love being there and I love how it looks. And, you know, I love it when people come in, they're like, oh, I've never been here before. And, you know, it's it still gives me that feeling that of excitement that I want to be there. So I think as long as we've still got that, we'll, uh, we'll carry on. We'll keep, we'll keep adapting. <laughs> That's good. And um, I will also say that I'll make sure that when we send the, when this episode goes live, we include some photos as well so people can actually see the space because I yeah. think that would be really good. So speaking of adapting, let's talk about the Ethical Emporium, um, what it is, why you're doing it, uh, which you've touched on partly already. Yeah. And um, yeah, let's start there. Okay, so we launched it back in April. Um, and it was basically the idea came from the fact that the model that we were currently so the traditional retail model as it stands is you have a space you buy things at wholesale you sell them at retail and you make a profit margin that's your average shop that's what everybody does and that's what we were doing even as a refill shop um, but what that does mean is that it's on you as the business owner to buy whatever stock you think people are going to like and make sure you choose the correct stuff and and hope it sells and you might make 
a mistake so something might sit on the shelf for a while and no one wants it or you might find something that everybody loves and you're winning um but that model is although it's kind of the most stereotypical one that most people use it's not actually the best model for the brands that you're buying in and and the business owner because you can't easily make changes without either spending money and then you know having to either put something on sale if it doesn't sell or whatever um but also the cash flow of paying suppliers and and trying to manage that so you know knowing you've got to make a certain amount of sales but then you need to pay them and I think for us the stress of that whilst running the cafe was was quite intense and and it just meant we weren't always on top of you know when customers were asking for stuff we weren't even able to sometimes afford to buy something in just to see if it was going to sell um so we kind of looked back on there used to be a pop-up Called support local um, in Tamworth Wells, who was run by um, a girl called Hope, who has moved to Cornwall now. But um, I remember shopping in her space she ran kind of over Christmas, and I spoke to her because me and Lottie had both said, you know, ideally what we want is to support local brands. We want to support people, designers, makers, people who don't have a shop on the Pantiles, um, and see how we can get them into the shop but obviously most of them work on the wholesale model or, or buy or return potentially that they're the kind of two main options so instead we looked into the pop-up model which is essentially making your space quite unified so you know having because we've never with zero waste stuff everything's always been upcycled our shelves were here would have been good with this nothing was the same so it was a bit of a change for us but we essentially invested in lots of kind of uniform shelving and uniform sort of table displays and basically we decided to contact as many local smaller brands um makers people who but they also had to have an ethical or sustainable kind of you know platform I guess and the idea was that we rented our space to them and gave them an opportunity to have products in a shop somewhere on the pantiles because we get a lot of tourist trade as well and also the cafe trade so trying to create a reason for people to come into the shop area and see something new um and we were really lucky because we managed to find I think it's like eight or nine brands when we first launched who kind of just took a bit of a chance on us and said okay yeah we'll we'll give this a go and basically we've created this emporium now that has I think last count I think we've got like 18 brands in there at the moment and we're still growing still looking for new brands but the idea is that they rent a shelf from us and it's just a flat fee that they pay on a weekly basis and everything they make is their own and it was really important to us that we didn't even want to handle the kind of financial transactions or anything so they get their money directly so sellers literally have their own um, profiles on our till system and whatever they sell the money goes directly into their bank account and all we do is invoice for the shelf rental on table rental um and it's been working really well so we're kind of in month two nearly three um we we offered obviously as we as we started we didn't really know where we were gonna kind of go with it so we you know we, we offered some deals for people to kind of come in and just see but we only ever asked for a two-week sign up just so that people can see if it's for them and so far we've got some incredible brands and I'm really proud of it because it's so amazing for us to see people selling and it is selling people are coming in and and knowing that 
you know, we still earn because we we have the shelf rental and that that's we don't have to have any more involvement than that, which is great for us as business owners. Um, and then people can swap in and out products as they want if they think something's going to sell, if they want to do promotions, if they want to do Father's Day things or Easter stuff. It means that they have full autonomy over that. And, you know, essentially they can see what is popular because we send them till reports of what they you know, have sold and they can make changes as appropriate. So it's working really well. And for the sellers who are currently in the Emporium, you know, they've given us some really good feedback. We promote them on Instagram and things as well. And they do the same. And it's just the loveliest collaboration that I could have wished for. And I still feel like we're kind of giving the community something. And actually the space means that I like to sort of say we're like an ethical Oliver bonus. So now you can come in, you can treat yourself to something, you can buy gifts, you can, you know, grab something almost like touristy. There's like Tunbridge Wells themed stuff in there as well. So it's it's got a really beautiful mix, eclectic mix, but mainly stuff that we would never have been able to just kind of do on a whim, you know, a bit of a whim back in the day on, on, on the old model. So it, it means that we've allowed the space to become like really eclectic and support these incredible brands so it's, it's I'm really proud of it and I'm really hoping that this is how we're going to kind of move forward with, with the Emporium. That sounds like a great model and as you say it benefits everyone from a customer's point of view you're going to find so many things that you might not find well you definitely wouldn't find in the high street or you know yeah, if you went absolutely. up to Royal Victoria Place or even if you went online it's just really because lots of people I think want to shop local businesses small businesses and this just makes it really easy well this is the thing it's a bit like you know lots of people shop on etsy i mean i i do like when i think about buying someone a present i'll go on etsy because i know at least it's benefiting a kind of a small actual person you know who's designing something or making something and i think the thing with etsy though is you don't always know how local they are and you end up buying something from scotland or whatever which is great because you're supporting a seller in scotland but I think the feeling of being able to actually support actual local businesses who can also come in and do meet the makers. And that's another thing we offer. You know, they can come in at any time. They can be there. They can run workshops from the cafe in the evenings. There's, We've kind of built it to be a real collaboration so that everybody wins. You know, for us, we want more people coming into the Emporium. We want to see, we want the sellers to succeed. So, you know, we have a member of staff in there that, talks about them and kind of is is really kind of clued up on all the sellers and what they do and their USPs and you know whether they're a mum of two or you know why they created their business so we we have all of that information so that when customers come in we can shout about all the brands and I love the fact that there are so many quirky things that we'd never have been able to have before but that they all still tick the sustainable model you know like every brand that we have they don't use plastic most of them have some kind of either recycled packaging or they've considered you know that it's an organic cotton because we sell clothing and there's just so many different things there's beautiful candles and products that you really just kind of know like you can feel really good about buying and that for me is like that's a real win and it's it's really showing because people are coming in and they are buying so it's it's really nice to to sort of have the support of our community but also be supporting other brands 
Yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all really nice. As you say, it's a business model that works for everyone. Yeah. And I know at the moment you're looking for local sellers, but do you have any plans to do something similar anywhere yeah. else? Yeah, I think one of the things we kind of realise is that the whole zero waste ethos that is so ingrained in myself and Lottie, it's not going anywhere. And so we kind of thought, well, okay, just because the actual, the traditional zero waste model refill side of things hasn't worked for us doesn't mean that we can't still do something within that space. And I feel like the Ethical Emporium is that. I feel like it's a really good alternative to essentially what we were trying to do before. So me and Lottie at the moment are kind of exploring the idea of creating Ethical Emporiums elsewhere in Kent and finding other locations and continuing this kind of pop-up model um in other spaces because there are a lot of empty units in so many towns now and on high streets and things that could potentially be utilized so our next step is to contact you know local agents in sort of various different towns and see whether this is viable you know to even work on a pop-up basis for maybe only you know a couple of months or three months um to just create a platform for sellers in that space in that area in that region to I guess not launch their brands but give them an opportunity that doesn't require them to be setting up at markets on a weekly basis because you know a lot of smaller brands that's what they do they're they're slogging it out all the time creating setting up a stall being there for eight hours and then leaving again and, and that's kind of their only way of I guess having a physical space to sell so if we were to to be able to kind of enable that for brands even for a kind of three month period, it would hopefully be really beneficial because, you know, we're essentially filling an empty unit potentially and landlords are desperate to have anything right now, you know, until they can get a new sort of permanent, you know, next sort of person in. Um, But it would also mean that, you know, you're taking away the stress of having to man a stall or, you know, give your time the whole time because obviously it would be something we would hopefully be able to cover with staffing and things our end and so to I guess it's like creating a mobile ethical emporium um but on a pop-up basis in in other local towns and just seeing whether that is something that's viable and whether that's something people support so it's still very early stages but it's definitely something we want to look into I think that's a really great idea and especially as when you talk about outsiders doing markets I think a lot of products do sell really well when people can see them touch them um it can be I, personally I found from what, back when I was selling my products that I sold really well when people could actually pick them up and touch them and yeah. um but it's really hard to have that opportunity because as you say you have to go to a market you have to pay for that pitch and I know that your model involves people paying for a space but actually there's a lot more involved in paying for a pitch and decorating your space and filling it up and set up on the same day as well that the kind of getting there early getting it all set up and then getting it all down again and you know all weathers and that kind of thing there's a lot of other factors and also a lot of brands you know people work alongside you know these are still kind of you know smaller brands where it's it's kind of from your kitchen table essentially and it just offers a bit of a I guess it's a more convenient way for sellers to try and get their brands out there and you know for us again just the the minimum sign up only being two weeks is it's it's pretty much just it gives them an opportunity to see whether it's even worth their time and most people will take that small risk to see whether something could really benefit them and you know for us just in our emporium it's 
I'd say at the moment we've got a 70% retention rate, which I think is pretty good. We know that not every product is going to sell. Sometimes it just is about the demographics. Sometimes it's about the the product itself or how, you know, it. some, some things do sell better online, funnily enough. But I think you're right. I think someone can actually physically see something. And also I think being able to go back to something is quite interesting. So if you see something in market and you go home, you go, oh, I wish I bought that now. Like, it gives consumers the opportunity to come back and go, I really like that. Actually, do you know what? I'm going to go back and get that candle or I'm going to go back and get that scarf or whatever, um, knowing that it's going to be there. You know, And that's, that's the thing about having a physical bricks and mortar is that essentially you're tying yourself to a premises for a certain amount of time. And, and that, gives customers a window as well to kind of have a think in return rather than that impulsive I've got to get it because I'm not going to see it again type thing so it's got yeah it's kind of I guess there's two modes like sometimes that's a good thing for markets because if they think they're not going to be able to get it again they'll get it right there but from a kind of normal consumer sort of buying habits people like to sort of look at things seven times asked across their mind before they really consider it so it's just allowing for that I think so yeah I'd really like to think it, it, it's got legs we'll see <laughs> I think so because another advantage I can see for sellers is it gives you a chance to sell uh, to check to test as well to yeah. test okay if I put these two products on a table which one sells the most or mm-hmm. especially for some and I know this isn't the, the aim but if there are sellers who are thinking one day I'd like to be stocked in I don't know, all of a bone or wherever. Yeah, yeah. It gives them an opportunity to say okay when people see my products on a shelf with other products do they pick them up do they they buy them what do they think about them um I just think that's really good opportunity as well to see how well your product sells in retail get some data without spending a load of money or taking a really big risk yeah absolutely and it's a lot of it requires a lot of effort as well to to get into any big brand you know like to be stocked in somewhere like you know, everyone's dreams like be stocked in Harvey Nichols or Harrods or whatever but to actually get to that point is incredibly difficult um, yeah. you often end up getting into the slightly longer um, invoice terms and things as well because that's what the those brands can do because they, they've got that power and so it kind of removes some of that and it actually keeps it on that local level and that community level that I think people after covid are wanting more of you know they are wanting to they are sort of realizing what's important and you know spending time with people and and having access to things like you know being able to go to the shops with your family or whatever it's it's almost like that's kind of a positive from covid that i think you know the supporting local thing does seem to have helped so obviously for us it wasn't necessarily I think it was just too much to support local and change your shopping habits. So it's like an either or. So this is a good compromise and it allows people to feel good about their shopping choices, which, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's a very psychological thing shopping. And I think women more than men consider it more in terms of what they're buying and and how it affects anything other than just, I like that I'm buying it. Um, So I've definitely noticed, you know, we've, we've got repeat customers now who say they don't go anywhere else. Now that they know that we've got the Emporium, they just come to us whenever they want a gift. And that's that's really nice because it's only been a couple of months. And if we've started to get that now, then I'm looking at how that could possibly grow. And um, it's, you know, I'm I'm hoping it is as positive as I think it is. <laughs> 
I think it is. Like I say, I, I don't see nobody loses in this situation. I just yeah. think there's just positives for everyone, which is really good because there aren't many things in life actually where it's all positive for everyone. No, so yeah, yeah, especially at the moment, it's yeah, it's. I think people need something to kind of make them feel good, and you know, it's hard to have a small business at the moment. It's hard to get your product out there. It's hard to get people to, you know, consider spending on luxuries now with everything that's going on um you know with all the cost of living crisis and everything I think people are tightening their belts and so they're they're taking longer to make a bigger purchase or you know or they're they're really thinking more about do I really want this is this the right thing for me before they buy it so it gives an opportunity I guess to put that forward and, and know that you're doing the right thing because you know it's so much nicer to be able to give someone a gift that you you've bought from somebody local and you can tell a little story about because for us the brand stories are really important um rather than just grabbing something from I don't know John Lewis say and giving them that you know it, I think the personal side of things is much more important to people now so and it's what brands you know really I guess from I come from a marketing and social media background so I'm quite lucky in the sense of my experience is understanding what makes people stop and, and stop scrolling or engage in a post for example and it's the same thing with products it's knowing that your personal story and and something is an identifier if someone can identify with you they're more likely to buy into you so it's that but on a bigger scale that makes sense thank you and let's um keep an eye on the time for your for you holly but before we finish i would love to talk about your own products as well mm-hmm. and i know you mentioned this again this is fair, something fairly new but um yeah. i know you've been selling your own brand of candles so do you want to talk a bit about how this came about how you've created them and and how that fits in because let's yeah. face it you've got a lot going on i have got a lot going on yeah um the thing before we kind of really decided to change the model to the Ethical Emporium, we'd already decided that the retail model wasn't working for us because it's that middleman thing of, you know, buying from this person, they have to make a profit margin and then so do you. And, you know, so I looked at initially just looking at the kind of products that we knew sold well. So for us, the homeware stuff was actually selling really well in the shop. So I wanted to look into making my own candles, which I used to do years ago and just hadn't ever considered selling. I just did it kind of as a nice hobby. Um, so I started looking into potentially what I would buy if I was going to buy a candle for somebody or for myself um, and did quite a lot of research just based on, you know, the most ethical sourced, you know, wax and fragrances and wicks and everything. It's like, it is a minefield, you know, um, but I am very creative and I do like to have a creative outlet. So for me, I was, I was kind of like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just trial some, I'll just trial some and I'll see how it goes. And so initially it was just a case of, I started off trying to do essential oils, which is actually really hard to do. So hats off to anyone who sells essential oil candles because to get the right scent through, but also there's a lot of, the, there's like labeling and legal requirements that you have to have with like all of the different, you know, sort of, everything warning labels all of it and I was a bit like you know what I'm I don't want to go down that route so instead I tried to find the most ethical non-toxic um fragrance oil suppliers which I did find um and then created some candles just off fragrances that I loved um I created a brand 
that is separate to zero because essentially it's it was like a separate entity um but also because I mean I come from like a branding background so I sort of understand the importance of having the brand story and it being different to you know people think of zero they think of a cafe and the pencils and obviously that's not what I wanted for something I was making so um the brand is called Wonder and Wild and the way that the scents I've created work are there are wonder scents and there are wild scents so the wonder scents are the ones that evoke um memories of places that you've been or traveled or want to go to so um there's one called Bora Bora which is you know like coconuts and it's not it's not too tropical there's there's kind of hints of bergamot and things in there as well give it a bit of a depth but the idea is that you've got kind of places and then you've got the wild which is more the botanical sense so I've got one called Wonderland which is like sort of Turkish rose and geranium scent so essentially the branding for me was having two things which are really important to me which is kind of traveling and having experiences I don't I tend not to buy material things I spend time in places and if I'm going to spend on anything it'll be a holiday or a, a trip somewhere um so I suppose that that for me was really important that I actually could evoke because I think scent is really important scent can it's a bit like music it can take you somewhere immediately like you know a scent of like fresh bread and it reminds you of walking past a cafe when you were in France four years ago you know that kind of thing was what I wanted to try and evoke so um so I created I think I've got six scented candles now and they're all made with um organic 100% soy wax um and organic cotton wicks as well um and yeah basically they are in the Emporium at the moment um although I say that I have definitely not made very many recently because I've been really busy and I've been on holiday so I need to make some more but um yeah so I have I have I think six fragrances at the moment and um, it's just given me like a bit of artistic free reign that I don't get so much anymore because I like being creative and I like you know I, I love doing branding and creating that side of things so like design even designing the labels and things I really found joy in um but they've uh, yeah they've been selling quite well <laughs> I find it really hard to talk about my own products I'm like yeah they're really good <laughs> that's really good it's really good they've been selling well as well yeah. um because it sounds like you know it's something you did almost not I know you're I know it's a business but it also sounds like something you're getting a lot of joy from as yeah, well I just really loved I like experimenting and I liked finding you know god I went through so many fragrances before I decided on the ones that I really liked and was testing them and getting the girls at work to kind of just tell me which ones were their favorites and you know it's it's just nice because it's something different and and I don't really see it as like a money maker at the moment it is it was more just a kind of can I do this? Can it compete with other people's brands? And so far it can, which is great. Um, but it's something, it does require time and I don't have a lot of that at the moment. So it's not, I'm not necessarily kind of gunning for this to be the new big brand of, of zero or whatever, but it is nice to know that it's something I can do. When I've got some time, I'll make some more and make sure that I can get them on the shelves. Yeah. And I think that is, like you said, that's a really nice way of looking at it, that if you've got time and you can make some and you can get them up in, in the shop, then great but it's not like your business is not like your key focus and it doesn't have to be making you money yeah 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 no it's just a nice to have at the moment and you know if it became more popular or more in demand then I'd give it more time but at the moment I just I just think it's one of those things I just wanted to see if I could do it and now I've you know essentially got everything so when I do have time I now can just spend a little bit 
of time creating some candles and and it is it's a very I find it really therapeutic Lossie finds it really boring it's quite funny she's like I want to make candles I want to make candles then she was like oh yeah no I don't really want to make candles (laughs) I was like I was making loads all right come make some candles and then she was like oh I didn't realize it was going to be like this okay (laughs) so that's where we differ but um yeah I I really enjoy like making something you know um the whole process I I like yeah that's brilliant and I've got well I've actually got two more questions so I've just thought of another one as you reference Lottie then which I hope you don't mind me asking um but what I'm just really curious actually as to how you find running a business you know as a pair so you know your yeah. business partners um because lots of my guests have been solopreneurs they're running mm. their businesses by themselves they're making all the decisions do you have any thoughts or advice for you know how to run a business with a friend and yeah. stay friends if, yeah to, to know the funny thing is I think everybody who meets us just has this assumption that me and Lottie are like lifelong friends that we've known each other for years and then we decided to come up with this but actually we met in the like January 2019 and we opened Zero in November 2019 so we became business partners like well we, we became friends but it we weren't people who'd known each other for years and I think actually that's been really helpful um I don't know if I could do this with a best friend you know somebody who knows me inside out back to front all my flaws all of that you know it's actually really nice to I I think I'm very lucky me and Lockie me and Lottie met and immediately connected um neither of us can really understand why and you know there are those things where people say it's like it was meant to be but it does feel like it was meant to be because we just got each other within like a day and we met because we both had babies the same age and were trying to find childcare options because we were freelancers and we were like we could maybe look after each other's kids while we're trying to work and that's kind of how we started um and then we found out that our boys were born a day apart and I had a scheduled c-section and I was bumped because of an emergency to the next day and Lottie was the emergency so we didn't even know each other then um, and then met eight months later and then found out that we had kind of had this crazy story where actually, you know, she essentially took my C-section slot, which is fine. <laughs> but that's kind of, it's a funny thing to kind of realise. And then off the back of that, we just, I don't know, we both just were like, we just want to do something together. And we were, we were writing business plans within three weeks of being kind of have, having met essentially. But I think for us, our biggest pro is that we have very different skill sets um and we're very lucky because somehow we've managed to find polar opposites so Lottie does all of our finances VAT returns tax stuff HR contracts like she's all over legal staff she knows everything about EHO like regulations all of that like food the hygiene she does all of that she literally keeps a handle on how like making sure that we are functioning legally <laughs> and properly um and she's just incredible like with a spreadsheet she can knock a spreadsheet up and smash it out in like 30 minutes and I, I could do the same but it would take me a whole day you know like I just don't have that she's it's almost like she's got a numbers brain and everything she's just like right done and I'm like uh okay whereas I'm very creative I come from marketing social media branding backgrounds so the aesthetics and the kind of brand and what zero looks like is more me um 
and I do all of our social media and our website and I'm also more operational although that's slightly by accident because Lottie decided to have another baby I was like don't have a baby in the first year and then she did but (laughs) but so she was kind of a little bit out like during that whole kind of COVID era um you know she had a little baby so I would I tended to be more operational in the shop and then she was more behind the scenes so it worked really well and the thing is obviously like I don't think we've ever argued we will disagree on things and you know I'll tell her that she's nuts about various things because she does come up with some crazy ass ideas that I'm like what are you doing but I'm like a bit of a voice of reason and then somehow we managed to find middle ground that works so but we are very similar we're both quite impulsive and I say we're both quite adaptable so that's been a real pro for us um but I think communication that's probably our biggest thing we talk all the time and to our husband's annoyance you know I'm constantly on my phone and I think anyone who runs a business knows even if you run it on your own you're constantly working it's very hard to switch off and be very disciplined about doing so and I'm not disciplined and nor she (laughs) so we're a nightmare it'll be like 10 o'clock at night I've just had a thought and like you know my husband's just like why are you still on your phone are you working and I'm like no no I'm not um but I guess the fact that we communicate all the time means we both we're always on the same page and, and that's really important I think if you don't communicate that's the, like or if you don't say if something is bothering you or if you're unhappy about something that's like the beginning of the end it's for us we've always said like if we're unhappy about something or we think something is changing we, we talk about it immediately and it's made a massive difference to how we work that's really useful and I think as well something else I took from what you've just been saying is that I also think it's probably a bonus that you both have really clearly defined roles because I can imagine it would be hard if you were both trying to manage your Instagram account or you both wanted to, you know, do or had, or had strong views about something. Um, It must make things a lot easier when you sort of know, okay, you do this and I do that. And of course we talk and discuss, but um, that must really help as well. Yeah. It's funny. We kind of never initially set out our job roles but it just was so clear from the beginning, you know, I design stuff. So anything design-based, whether it's menus, website, Instagram, anything, even like coming down to like how we decorate the shop, that's very much me. And Lottie's really happy to be led on that, which is great because I have such strong ideas. I find it really difficult. If if somebody else was like, I want to do it like this, I'd be like, mm, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing it like that. But she's so kind of chill. She's like, yeah, fine, do whatever I trust you. And I think, I trust her to do like I never ask about finances really I hate finding out about the finances side of things I'm like oh it's really stressful um so we've sort of naturally just got our strengths and it works really well but I yeah I I think you're right I think if we ever were to sort of cross over which you know there's been a couple of things when we've both sort of almost accidentally started doing the same thing but it becomes clear quite quickly who is probably best suited to that task and then we just hand it over so yeah I think that and communicating is probably the biggest thing for us definitely thank you and I know I did throw that question at you but as we were talking obviously Lottie came up so much I thought actually that would be good to talk about so I only have one more question now you'll be pleased to know probably um, which is what is your number one tip for other small product businesses what's one thing you'd like people to take away I think so because I come from marketing and social media it it's kind of ingrained into me that that is one of your biggest 
platforms of promotion. So obviously it's not the only one, but we do live in a very online world now. So having your brand on social media platforms and having a website are kind of, I think your two most important factors of running a business, if you like, but from a kind of personal level, if you're trying to sell a product, um, the very best way you can do that is to actually not actively sell it, but talk about anything that would, I guess, be relatable to a consumer. So if, you, if you're selling a candle and you put a picture of a candle on your Instagram, even if it's the most beautiful candle and picture you've ever seen, it's probably going to get a bit of a kind of a token like, you know, rarely is someone going to comment or engage in a post like that. If you put a picture of your child holding that candle, <laughs> your engagement will double. If you put a picture of a dog with your candle, it will triple. There is something about people, pets, babies, that is an immediate relatable factor for people and it makes them stop so I always say to people when I'm like when I used to do their social media for them I was like I need photos of you and they're like what no I don't want to be in pictures and I was like you need to be in pictures you'll notice as a small business every post that has an about you a kind of even a look what I've been doing today and that you're sitting in in the sunshine drinking a smoothie that has nothing to do with selling candles that will guarantee get more engagement and more people wanting to find out about you and what you do than a picture of your candle. So if anything, it's that people sell, not products. People will always be the one defining factor that make you either choose to buy or not buy. So if you can relate to somebody and even if it's a picture of them with their three children on the sofa and you're calling it a duvet day or whatever, those kind of honest posts on a business page, people are always really frightened to do because they're like, oh, it's, it's not the brand, it's not the brand. But actually it is the brand because everything that you are is your brand, especially if you are a single kind of, you know, designer maker of some sort. So that's my kind of biggest tip is that actually never underestimate the power of yourself and, and what you give to it because people want to find out about you. They don't really care either way what scent your candle is sometimes it's more about if they can see that you have some a similarity to them and they can relate to you they're more likely to buy from you so that's I guess it's more of a marketing tip but it really works and I would say to everyone just do it just do just do a photo of you and tell me if you get more engagement and they would come back and they're like yeah I got more engagement (laughs) and that's what you need you need more engagement from followers on social media because they will eventually convert into sales so it is a long game with marketing, but that that's my biggest thing is that people sell. So put a that's baby in there, you'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. I do really like that. And I can see I can see what you mean because yeah, I definitely personally scroll past pictures of products. products. Yeah. Because I mean you might think you like you say you might give them a like if you think they look mm. nice, but yeah, generally you want to I don't know you you want to find out something new and something interesting and yeah well, the other thing is videos a lot of people now have cottoned on to the fact that videos are a key point and the only way that a video that would get more engagement than a 
person in it is if you've got a product like a skincare product or a scrub or something and you take like a slow-mo of like it's squidging out onto a hand or something that's when you'll get someone go oh yeah I want to see that because again it's 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 like a tactile thing it's something that they want to touch or look at or smell um so if you can get that across in the video that's brilliant but yeah even then you probably need a human hand in there just to, <laughs> just to yeah. identify with <laughs> This is all great, Holly. Thank you. And thank you so much for everything you've shared. You've told us so much about your business. I think it's really, yeah, it's just been really fascinating. I'm so pleased we could get you on because I was really keen to talk to you because mm. as you say, you run kind of three businesses. Well, at least two yeah. businesses, let's yeah, say. Don't freak me out if I think but, about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I got to leave it there then. Thank you so much thank for everything you've you you shared. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.